I am very sorry for the lateness of this episode. I was out of town, then I got lazy, then the polyps in my colon started acting up, and then the neighbor's kids were stealing my rocks, but I got even with them. Them and that dog of theirs. Anyway, yeah, I suck. But I also got so much positive feedback from the last episode, which was really an abnormal episode. And I wanted to make sure that this one was at least as thought-provoking, if not as entertaining. No deepened voice echo effects in this one. But I will let you know that my first idea for a podcast was to do what I did for the last episode for the entire Bible from cover to cover. Perhaps I chose poorly. Since the invention of the historical document some 50 years ago, mankind has sought to learn about his past. These ancient texts can be found on flimsy papyrus, sturdy notebook paper, and even carved into stone itself. Historians immediately understood the important value of these findings and quickly amassed detailed knowledge about what went on 100, 200, even 5,000 years ago. Surely we would finally understand where the hell we came from, how we got here, and when we would die. But oh no, shortly after the development of this incredibly useful tool, its dark side reared its ugly head. Along with the ability to record events as they actually occurred, so did the ability to record distortions of the truth and sometimes even entirely fictitious events. Later in the 1980s, it was determined that one could inscribe messages stating that prior messages were false. And so the last one wins concept was born. And with that, Thousands of people worldwide began a campaign to correct the mistakes of the past by simply rewriting what was previously recorded. So what does this mean to the average Joe on the street? Basically, the written word can no longer be trusted. We gave up on spoken words eons ago, giving way to signed contracts and issues of swank as being the only true source of knowledge. Alas, it is no more. History, it seems, cannot be trusted. But never let it be said that mankind cannot overcome adversity, or that mankind cannot adapt. Quick as a flash, mankind ignored the fact that the pen of a liar works equally as well as that of a truth-sayer, and as well as the fact that forgeries exist, and before you could say, Brian Boitano built the pyramids and beat up Kublai Khan, history was once again trustworthy. I've touched on this subject in past episodes, but I figured it was high time, opposed to low time, that I directly discuss this issue. The issue that I think everyone needs to question history. I'm not suggesting some conspiracy about a specific event. I'm speaking more large-scale. I'm suggesting that the older any event is, the less likely you can know the truth about it. This should be obvious if you directly think about it. But not just because people had less books in the past or because books and even stone tablets erode over time. Go do some research about any current event. Be it a war, a dog show, a discovery of a biblical figure's grave, or a local zoning regulation. You are incredibly likely to find differing opinions and differing viewpoints. So what is the truth? Is your country at war for oil, revenge, world domination? Did Fluffy win because of his coat, his obedience? Or did the judges just hate Mrs. Ellsworth, owner of the truly best dog? Were the bones of a man-god found, or was it just the bones of the family that inspired the whole fictitious tale? Was changing the intersection of 5th and Main to be zoned for commercial use done to provide more tax money for the area, to add businesses and therefore jobs, so the local mafia can profit? All of the above? Pick any of your local current events and now ask yourself, what is the truth? 
Now ask, do you ever think anyone will really ever know? I mean, know the truth. I don't mean will we have a high probability that the truth is known. I mean that the truth is known 100%, never any doubt. Go ahead and chisel it into stone and slap a coat of polyurethane on it. Before you answer, let me ask you something. Do you think people who do illegal or immoral things like to leave paper trails? Does the mafia hitman pay with his visa when he rents a car for driving to the victim's house, or does he pay with cash? Better yet, does he just simply steal a car so there's no record at all of his presence? No, history is not about people trying to cover their tracks every step of the way. However, deceptive people have been around for at least a hundred years, if not considerably longer. So at least for things that people agree are controversial, it's easy to see that if intentional deception occurred, then it's likely the deceptive individual tried not to leave any evidence. So that hitman didn't write down the name and address of the guy he was going to kill. If we're talking about events decades or longer ago, what little evidence there might be could likely be lost to those sands in the hourglass. I don't think I'm saying anything revolutionary yet. I suspect most people agree with this. Now the examples I just used all have obvious benefits for someone in the story, and I suspect most people would agree that you'd never really know the truth in any of those. I mean, if a hitman kills someone and leaves few traces and isn't personally tied to the victim, it's likely he'll get away with it. We got lots of unsolved murders. But when someone hundreds of years ago was deceptive, there might not be any evidence still around. Now let me switch gears. Remember a past episode where I said that the nursery rhyme, Ring Around the Rosie, was actually about the bubonic plague? Pocket full of posies. It fits nicely, and I see the immediate benefits to writing songs about epidemics ransacking your city. But recently, I was reading an Uncle John's uh, Bathroom Reader. Those are fascinating books, by the way. They're informative, somewhat humorous books filled with little tidbits of random information. Pick one up if you, if you haven't. Well, the other day, I read an article in one of those books that said Ring Around the Rosie wasn't about that at all. For one thing, it said that nursery rhyme was written hundreds of years after the plague. It claims it's about the wretched sin of dancing, not dying of oozing sores and a pile of rat feces. How dare I? I have repeated and helped propagate a complete lie. And where the hell did I get the idea that it was ever about the plague? And worse yet, I've published, in a sense, this lie, so now others may be repeating it. So which is it? What is the truth? Is this rhyme about the plague or dancing? Well, let's look at the evidence. And the first thing I see is that uh, I really don't have any evidence. What I have is two interpretations of the same thing. My evidence is absolutely nothing other than to repeat what others have said. Right off the bat, my, my case either way isn't looking very good. To be honest, I, I have no idea where I first heard that it was about the plague. I, I heard it years ago, and I've heard it repeated several times. So. so, hey, the fact that I've heard it more than once gives it credibility, right? But what if you backtracked where everybody had heard it from, and it all went to just one guy? Okay, so I, I don't know anything about the plague, but, but what about the other interpretation? It's said to be hundreds of years after the plague. So how do you go about carbon dating a rhyme? Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, you, no, you count the rings on the... Uh, um, that ain't gonna work either. Did you know there was a movie that came out recently called The Hitcher? It's about a guy that picks up a hitchhiker who turns out to be a killer. Did you know it was a remake of a 1986 HBO movie starring C. Thomas Howell and Rutger Hauer? I'd, I'd recommend the original. A lot of people I've talked to didn't know that. As far as they were concerned, that story is brand new and not over 20 years old. Hell, for all I know, it could be a remake of some 1950s movie starring an only slightly elderly Hume Cronin. 
I'm only trying to point out that sometimes when things are old, information about them is lost. It's possible that this rhyme existed during the plague. Just because some modern researcher only found records of it much later doesn't mean it didn't exist earlier. Especially when you consider that during the times of the plague, I, I bet a lot of things that touched plague victims are burned or buried or just because they're probably contaminated. If I find and carbon date a document from 1855 with a joke, how do you get a witch pregnant on it? Does that mean that that same joke wasn't around back in, say, 1742? With regards to the Rosie song, I'm not saying one way or the other, and I'm not trying to vindicate my error. The topic of this episode is just how difficult it is to determine historical truth. It is my unprofessional opinion that until we create a time machine, we'll never know the truth about this particular children's poetry. Oh, and if we do create a time machine, we still won't know because then we'll have to wonder whether someone polluted the timeline by going back to plague-ridden London and handing a little golden book to some diseased child. Unless we develop the time machine from, uh, what was that Arthur C. Clarke book? I think it was Childhood's End, where aliens brought a time machine back, and but it could only view history or the future, and I, I think they used it to eliminate crime since you could easily find out who did what. But, but anyway, why the hell am I bringing up a stupid nursery rhyme anyway? Who the hell cares what it's about? And... And wasn't I talking about current events and controversies a moment ago? I chose this rosy song topic for two reasons. One, because I repeated something that may have been false, and I had no ill intentions at all. You can't always trust the source. What's the source's source? The second reason I brought up the ringing round the rosy song is because it's something most people wouldn't think of as controversial. Sure, it's easy to look at disputed things in history, like whether Marilyn Monroe was murdered or whether Lupe Velez really died with her head in the toilet and say, we'll never know the truth. But does that mean that if it's not disputed, then it's the truth? I mean, in this case, it is disputed. Just very few people know of the dispute. And there lies one of the difficulties. The dispute doesn't always survive up to your fifth grade history class. In addition, I wasn't lying or trying to be deceptive. I was merely repeating something I had heard and yet I may have furthered a lie. I don't think the olden days are full of liars, but you can see how easy it is for a falsehood to become fact with no intentional deception. At least one of those interpretations is wrong, and it could be both of them. In some cases, historians use the number of references to something as a factor in its truthfulness. Josephus' testimonial corroborates some of the events from the Bible, so it is said to give more credibility to biblical events. Well, if I was wrong about this nursery rhyme, the fact that I just repeated it doesn't make it more truthful. Hell, some of you may have repeated it to others. Do you see how simple corroboration doesn't equal truth? I, I can't tell you how many investigative reports I've seen on the Bill Curtis Network, I mean A&E, where several people corroborated a killer's story for, for whatever reason. And then hard evidence proved the killer later, and the people that corroborated the story were proven to be liars. Okay, so you're thinking, murderers of course lie. People with things to gain of course lie. That's obvious. So my question to you is, if your neighbor was a non-convicted murderer, would you know? Your neighbor could be scrubbing the hell out of his bathroom right now, trying to get all the blood out of the grout. He managed to keep the girl from screaming, but she started to run and got all the way to the stairs, and now the hallway carpet has to be replaced. Do you know that none of your neighbors are killers? No. If you did, we wouldn't have any unsolved crimes. So in history, how are you supposed to determine the liars from the non-liars? The murderers from the non-murderers? There's a saying, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. 
Well, it's implied that you know more after something than before. It doesn't mean that just because it's in the past you know everything. You only know of the liars after they've been proven to be liars. If no one ever proves them a liar, history remembers them as a great truth-teller. As a side note, the truth is not a popularity contest. It doesn't matter how many people believe something contrary to what Tinkerbell would have you understand. If I convince 50 million people that smoking extends your lifespan and improves your breath, that doesn't make it true. Whenever someone says that it's popular, therefore it's true, I like to sarcastically agree that 50 million smokers can't be wrong. Another thing that amuses me is we have this thing called satire. It's where you make fun of something by doing something similar yet often exaggerated. Sort of like where people do Ronald Reagan impressions consisting of him repeatedly saying, Well, well, well. I'm sure he said some other words. Well, have you ever heard a satire of something that took itself completely seriously and you only knew it was a joke because you knew what they were making fun of? Some of Trey Parker's songs, you know, the guy from South Park, well, many of his songs come to mind, such as Freedom Isn't Free Costs Folks Like You and Me. The song is a joke making fun of pro-war country songs. But it ends with a line stating that freedom only costs a dollar and a nickel. The rest of the entire song could be taken seriously. So what if a thousand years from now, Indiana Jones's great-great-great-great-great-etc. grandson digs up an iPod from the rubble of Charlotte, North Carolina. He manages to hook it up to an ancient power source and plays it, and the first thing he hears is... Would it be accurate for him to conclude that that is how everyone from our time thinks? Would it be accurate for him to conclude that the song is anything other than a joke? Now, let's suppose this archaeologist speaks a future dialect of Hebrew and all the English speakers died in the great quake of 2538. So he has to translate the song as best he can. Would it be fair to think that the fact that the song is a joke might not come through? He might not get the joke at all. It's, it's very subtle. So when we have very little information about an event, and manage to find only a few writings about it, are you really sure that it's not a joke? Maybe some ancient hieroglyphics were really intended to be comedy. Maybe Bird Bird Cathead Moon was hilarious back then. Satire and sarcasm have probably always existed, and I can easily see them not translating across languages well. I mean, how many times has someone been rolling on the floor telling you some hilarious experience, only to end with, I guess you had to be there because you weren't laughing. So maybe you had to be there to even understand that it was a joke. 3,000 years ago, everybody got the joke. Maybe there was a guy that ran around ancient Cairo telling everybody the moon was falling so everybody would tie dead birds on him so cats would chase him. And the way you told that back then was bird, bird, cat had moon. Jeez, not everything written down had to be about religion. Maybe Ra wasn't really a god, he was a god of comedy. Currently, there is a push to vote for bad singers on American Idol. At this time, I would like to proudly state that I have never, ever watched even three seconds of this show. As a result, I may be missing some major information. But I heard on a news report the other day that Howard Stern and several websites are trying to get people who don't sing well to win the contest. They're encouraging people to vote for some guy who sucks or something, I don't know. They're just mocking the system. It's a joke. Now, this fact isn't as popular as the show itself. So what if, thousands of years later, people find the voting records and then conclude that this crappy singer or singers were thought to be good? What if no records are found of the joke? You see how easy it is for humor to be mistaken for facts? 
A lot of jokes don't make any sense unless you know current culture. If you're not familiar with The Simpsons and I say, we're going to lose our house and wind up living under a bridge like common trolls, you wouldn't get that that's a joke. And a damn obscure one, too. And only funny because of its obscure shout-out-like qualities. I know, I know, I can hear you now. This kind of mischief is only a factor of modern life. Well, go read Mark Twain. He comments repeatedly on laziness, cruelty, and mischievousness that sound like things your grandfather insisted they didn't do at his time. No good kids today. All from a man who died over a hundred years ago. This is not unusual behavior for mankind. This raises another issue. If something is written down, then discovered decades or centuries later, does that mean that most people of the time agreed with it? I don't think any self-respecting historian would say so. But what if you find two or three things that corroborate the story? Now, yes, this can get reported as typical belief. But two or three or fifty reports are not very good evidence for what thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people believe. Let me give you an example. It's reported that the people of yesteryear believed the Titanic was unsinkable. People of that time thought that God himself couldn't sink it. Was there a poll done? How do they know that people felt this way? Did a reporter say it and then some other guy agree? Did the, did the company White Star say it themselves? I'll come back on this example. But it's just something to consider. It's exceedingly difficult to know the typical beliefs of people from the past. Only so much information even survives for us to examine. And in some cases, the people of the time couldn't read or write or were too busy plowing the field or Becky to answer the census guy's question of whether or not the Earth is the center of the universe. That's a very real problem, trying to draw a conclusion when you don't have all the information. Historical documents are lost or stolen or decay. And as usual, you don't know what you don't know. Let's play detective. You be the detective and try to figure out why someone died. You learned that Hollis Mulray, the chief engineer for the water department, is found dead in a stream next to one of his water department's dams. It appears he slipped off the rocks and fell into the stream, then drowned. So how did he die? Did he slip? Or was he pushed? Or are you missing information? What if I then tell you that Hollis's lungs are filled with salt water, but he's in a freshwater stream? Ah, now you know you're missing information. What if I then tell you that he wears glasses, and his glasses are sitting at the bottom of a saltwater pond in his own backyard? Ah, now things get interesting. Maybe you recognize the Jack Nicholson movie I'm referring to. If not, I just ruined it for you. I'm sorry. But if all you know is the guy is dead and he drowned, well, you see how you don't know the full picture. And yet, you can reach a conclusion. An incorrect conclusion. This guy slipped and died or possibly was pushed. You don't ever know what you don't know. You could probably expect to learn what type of water he drowned in. But learning that he wore glasses and then finding them, well, there's some luck in that. Finding the right historical documents is luck, too. Sometimes we find them. Sometimes we don't. But we rarely know that we have the full picture. Also, recognize that the issue with the glasses was not new information. Well, it was new to you, but from a historical standpoint, it's old. Keep this in mind when somebody tells you that new information was discovered about some ancient Mayan city. It's not new. It's new to you. And what other new-to-you information is still hiding beneath all that rock? History is fraught with this problem. We don't know where the holes in our story are. At this point, I'd like to comment that I'm not anti-history. I think history is very useful, and I wish more emphasis were made in school about history. But I would prefer to focus on the events and their causes and effects rather than being able to repeat 
dates and names. Knowing the year some guy named Napoleon attacked another country named Russia isn't very useful. Knowing an army attacked another country right before their brutal winter set in, without planning appropriately for supplies, that's much more useful. At least if you're going to war. And that very example I just used is disputed. I looked it up in Wikipedia before I typed it, and there's a comment that the winter had a bigger effect during his retreat than in his attack. So, which is it? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Wikipedia is absolute. I'm saying the exact opposite. History becomes more unknowable the older it gets. In fact, I'll quote Napoleon himself. What is history but a fable agreed upon? And you know what's interesting? I did a search for that exact quote and stopped after I found five radically different versions. Hell, the guy probably never said any such thing. Or maybe he was just repeating what his friend Rupert said and then took the credit for himself. Or maybe he said it all the times in many different places and slightly differently each time. I don't know. Let me get back to the Titanic example. Supposedly, the owners of the Titanic White Star said it was unsinkable. Now, why anyone would say something so stupid is beyond me. That's like Ford making a car with an advertisement that says it's uncrashable. If you go check, it looks like many people don't think White Star ever said any such thing. At least no print ad was ever found to say so. And if you didn't find any evidence, it never happened, right? But regardless, the general belief is that people of the time felt it was unsinkable. Wait, you're telling me that the average person really believed that the largest floating device in the world at that time couldn't sink. So they apparently all believed that that's why all the previous ships sank. They weren't big enough, and so they went to the ocean floor like a rock. That explains continental drift. They're so huge, they're unsinkable. I actually came across several websites that declared this. History on the Net was one of them. But I've heard this before from other sources. This goes back to my statement that history records the beliefs of average people at the time, and I don't think it's always accurate. Surely many people felt the Titanic was unsinkable. But was that the consensus? I don't know. I wasn't there. But it just seems counterintuitive. Ever heard of the American Civil War? What caused it? Sure, some people say slavery. That's certainly the third grade version. Later you hear about economic factors. Have you ever heard Eli Whitney's part in starting the Civil War? Many people aren't familiar with that. His invention of the cotton gin immensely reduced one of the most labor-intensive tasks to cotton farming, removing the damn seeds. This made cotton farming more profitable and made the actual picking of the cotton a larger percentage of labor, since your workers could do that now instead of pulling seeds. This lowered the price of cotton significantly and eventually made it possible for the average person to own sturdy and expensive clothes, which just made the demand for cotton rise even more. But it made slave labor more important since the South was already relying on it for labor. This also made the South a larger economic force, but one dependent entirely on agriculture. I'm not saying Eli started the war, but his invention played a fairly direct role in setting the scene for the Civil War. Or maybe I'm just full of it. Everything I just said could be a complete lie. But what I'm getting at is that reasons for things, especially political, are often complex and motivated by self-interest. Individuals rarely publish their selfishness. The individual southern farmers had their interests, making money. The northern workers had their interests, probably making money, in addition to the obvious moral issues of slavery. I think many people recognize the Civil War didn't just have a single cause. But for some reason, when reading about, say, a border patrolman that gets arrested for supposedly only doing his job and shooting a drug smuggler, many take off their thinking caps and only look at what was presented to them. 
Gadget doing his job and now he's in jail, stupid government. Well, gee, if it sounds so stupid, maybe there's more to it. Maybe more you don't know. The reasons behind things are rarely just a single motivation. I'm actually referring to a real incident that occurred several weeks ago. I never found out what the real deal was, but a friend of mine told me about it. Some guy, border patrolman, shot some drug smuggler in the butt or something like that, and, and the border patrolman was arrested, and it was reported like he was just doing his job. Maybe the border patrolman was meeting the drug dealer, and that's why he's in jail. I simply don't have enough information to judge, so I reserve judgment. In addition, I haven't heard anything more about the story since I first heard about it, so... Okay, okay, I'm almost done here. One last point before I summarize. How many times have you said something directly to several people and they walked away with more than one interpretation? I can speak from experience just from this podcast that that's a common thing. A guy I work with held a meeting to tell us that he was training someone to work underneath him to lighten some of his workload. He then directly said he was not quitting. Immediately after the meeting, people started talking about how long until he quits. Others repeated that he said he wasn't going to quit. Here are two completely opposite interpretations of the same exact event. There's a psychiatrist on the radio around here named uh, Dr. Blue who points out that we all view life through our own filters. Your personal experience taints how you see events unfold. I think we would all agree on that. Now considering that, if I find a historical document that explains firsthand some event of the past, should I immediately say, well, it's old, therefore it must be correct? If we know for a fact that people interpret the same information differently, I think we've all seen that. How can we trust a single document from the past? If we can, then GlaxoSmithKline needs to disinter some ancient corpses to determine what kind of primeval medication they were on that evened everyone out. It's very reasonable to pull several documents together about the same event from authors who were present and search for trends, find the commonalities. That's perfectly valid, though still not a guarantee. It's very unreasonable to find one account of something and take it as the truth. Okay, I'm pretty much done. Let me summarize. So what am I saying? That you can't trust history, you can never trust anything you read because it might be a joke or it might be a lie. No. But I am saying that you should always question historical evidence. The older something is, the less likely you are to know the truth. It's easy for history to be interpreted incorrectly. It's easy to be missing the whole picture. An acceptable answer is, I don't know. It is not a requirement, nor is it likely, that mankind will ever know everything about the past. This is why I don't want this podcast to rely on me quoting a bunch of historical documents. And I'd like to say that, to me, historical means... Simply the past. If it's a document from 88 BC, 1970 AD, or last week, it's historical and subject to the same scrutiny. Hell, it's not really about whether or not it's historical. It's about how to consider any information that comes your way. Maybe you think this problem is going to change now that we're in the information age. Digital storage will keep documents around longer so the truth can be known. We got video footage of the events and photos from different angles. It's my belief that we're currently overloaded with information. How do you know which of the 300 sources to trust? Forgeries are made even easier with computers. If you're talking about digital documents, hell, you won't ever be able to prevent forgeries. If it was never printed out, you can't even carbon date the paper or check for the existence of the font. How can you even trust video footage after going to the theater and seeing a realistic alien eating a badger? Do you have a copy of WordPerfect for DOS? Do you have a copy of DOS? 
And if you did have a copy of it, do you even have a computer that will run it? I mean, are, are you sure? Because, like, Vista has dropped a lot of support for older programs. Did you know Intel tried to basically kill support for what is called the x86 architecture? That's the that's what most computers in the world run on. They wanted to replace it with a newer and better architecture called AI64, and it was natively incompatible with x86. I won't go into why it didn't work, but I will say it's only a matter of time before we do change to a different architecture, and when we do, those older programs might not run. There's not really a whole lot of incentive for a company to get a program running on a defunct operating system. And have you ever looked at an MS Word document in binary form to see what the raw data is? It's pretty ugly. Good luck for some historian that doesn't have a copy of MS Word trying to read it. I mean, sure, I think some of the words are fairly readable, but what if the formatting for a strikethrough, for example, isn't obvious? That could completely change the meaning if a document has the word not struck out. If there was ever a reason to switch to an open-source storage format globally, it's for historical records. Now, this problem will forever be here, but it's a part of life. The best you can do is adopt the attitude that we simply can't know everything and factor that into your decision-making. It is my hope that some of these issues I've raised might just pop in your mind when you learn new information, merely so you can question whether or not to believe it. And just so I don't piss off the International Society of Historians, Archaeologists, and Paleontologists, is Hap, I like history. History is important. I just question the hell out of everything and have no problem saying we can't know certain things. And notice that I didn't even touch on the technical problems with dating and verifying documents. I should probably repeat my main point here, but this episode is late enough as it is, and that'll just make it later. And besides, listening to it again will give you something to do while you're waiting for my next late episode. Hey, I'm done, but I finally get to ask this one question. I know I have some British listeners, and I've always wanted to know, how does Britain history tell the tale of what I call the American Revolution? We Americans are told in school that it was an escape from an unfair king. I suspect the British version is very, very different. I'd love to know the British viewpoint on it. If I get any answers, I'll regurgitate it on the next episode. I'll leave with another quote by Napoleon Bonaparte. Skepticism is a virtue in history as well as in philosophy. Thank you for listening. Visit our website at logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com. We'll be right back.